We're so glad that y'all have joined us online for worship today, and we're positive that God has something specifically to speak just to you. We want you to know that you are always welcome here at First Baptist Azel, and that you can connect with us by going online to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. Now let's hop back into the sermon and hear what God has for us today. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare to her. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you this morning as our act of worship, we pray through your spirit you would open our hearts right now to understand the depths of the wisdom you desire to teach us today from your word, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We continue with our series. I began last week entitled Precious, Living Life Around What Matters Most. And I shared with you last week what I simply did was do a search in the Bible of the word precious and found that about 90% of the time, when it used the word precious, it was talking about gemstones, precious gems. But about 10% of the time, it did talk about a handful of other things that it described as precious. Last week, we looked at the precious blood of Jesus Christ, precious salvation that is available through Christ. And your salvation is precious, should be to us, it is to God. Today, we are going to look at The next thing that we see is precious, and we see that in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. It refers specifically to wisdom as being precious. And so today's message is entitled, The Jewel of Wisdom. The Jewel of Wisdom. What is wisdom? Do you know what is truly wise? Is it something that just happens when you get old? If you ask different people about what wisdom is, you're guaranteed to get very different answers. I heard the story once about an angel who appeared in a faculty meeting for a university. And he told the dean, this angel told the dean right in front of the whole faculty, that because uh, he had, had lived a life of unselfish behavior and exemplary behavior, that God would reward him with his choice of infinite wealth, infinite wisdom, or infinite money. Infinite wealth, infinite wisdom, or infinite money. Without hesitating, the dean selected infinite wisdom. Done, said the angel, and poof, in a puff of smoke, the angel disappeared. And immediately, infinite wisdom was instilled upon this dean. He sat there in a quiet, stoic stance for a few minutes, and all the rest of the faculty, realizing his infinite wisdom, were on the edge of their seats waiting for him to say something. And when he was quiet, they finally said, well, say something to us. And the man contemplating all of human nature and all of humanity in a a momentary thought finally responded and answered, I should have picked money. Wisdom. What is wisdom? 
We're actually going to see this morning that there are two kinds of wisdom in our world. And there are two kinds of wisdom that you and I can appeal to or be a part of. What is wisdom? Famed German philosopher Immanuel Kant said, Science is organized knowledge. Wisdom is organized life. Author and humorist Sam Levinson said, It is so simple to be wise. Just think of something stupid to say and say the opposite. (laughs) Ancient Roman scholar uh, Cicero once said, The function of wisdom is to discriminate between good and evil. Cicero, this is Cicero speaking, this is hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, he said, the function of wisdom is to discriminate between good and evil. I don't know if you know anything about the life of Cicero. Interestingly, Cicero was executed in 43 BC for being a Republican. True story, by the way. He was a Republican and was executed for it. Recently, a survey was done with a group of kids And this is how they responded to the question, what do you think wisdom is? Rocky, who was age nine, said, wisdom is wearing a hat when feeding seagulls. Nine-year-old Carol commented, never ask for anything that costs more than $5 when your parents are doing taxes. Nicholas, who was age 11, spoke from experience when he said, never bug a pregnant mom. Kelly, age 10, has learned the the dinner grill. She says, don't ever be too full for dessert. That's pretty good wisdom there. And Heather, a seasoned teenager, said, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. (laughs) What is wisdom? It's important that you and I know that wisdom has amazing benefits in our lives. When I said the word wisdom a while ago and told you that was the topic for today's message, out of God's word, what was your reaction? What was your immediate thought? And a lot of people might think, oh, wisdom, that's for old people. Or wisdom, that's dry and that's boring or that's a lecture or that's just a uh, this or that. Does wisdom really apply to me or to you? The truth is, wisdom is powerful. When you wake up in the morning, how your disposition is going to be as you get out of bed, what your attitude is going to be is contingent upon your wisdom, how you're going to greet your family and speak to them before you go to work or school requires wisdom, how you're going to act and react when you get into the car and you enter into heavy traffic every day, going to school or to work requires wisdom. When you get to work or school, those people that you talk to, those relationships that you have, that boss or that teacher or that classmate or that fellow worker requires wisdom. Wisdom connects and and impacts every part of your life and my life. It is so vital and so important. And we live in a world that is so lacking in true wisdom. Is there wisdom in your life? The book of Ecclesiastes is a bit unsettling, if you've read it. There's no happy fairy tale ending in that book. There's no promise that life will be easy no matter what you do or how you live or how hard you try. There's no blunt, uh, or excuse me, there is a blunt declaration that most things in life that you and I do are surprisingly a waste of time. 
but it has much to say about wisdom. For example, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 19, it says this. Solomon, his wisdom says, Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Now, even back then, in the day of Solomon, ten rulers, the rulers he's talking to or talking about are, are in the government. He's talking about government leaders. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten city leaders. What he means is, if you have wisdom, it gives you a power that you don't get because you have a, a, a plaque on your desk or a nameplate on your office. Wisdom gives you more powerful than a degree or diploma that's hanging on your wall or a title given to you by your boss or your company. Truism is truly, genuinely powerful. To begin to understand wisdom, I want you to look with me and see with me the first time that wisdom is used in the Bible. It's used almost immediately. Where we're confronted with the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. You have to go all the way back with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 4. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. This is a conversation that Eve is having with the serpent, with evil, with Satan. And in that conversation, Satan says to her, the serpent says to her, you will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, that is the forbidden fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining what? Wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Again, we immediately see the wrong kind of wisdom here. The two kinds I mentioned a while ago, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. And we know that because this wisdom for which she was tempted by, so easily by Satan to, to participate in, this wisdom that she was seeking to gain came at the price of disobedience to God. And I'll tell you before we move on or say anything else, that any wisdom that is offered to you that would prompt you to be disobedient to God is the wrong kind of wisdom. And it costs her dearly and all of mankind as well. Again, James tells us about two different kinds of wisdom in James chapter 3, verse 14. He's much more detailed than Genesis is, so look there with me if you would. James chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> he says to you and I, but if you harbor bitter envy, and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, and he puts this in quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. 
Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So there's this earthly wisdom made up of bitter envy and selfish ambition. And then there is godly wisdom. So what is this wisdom? What is true wisdom? Well, I want to give you a guide this morning, and I didn't write it. It it was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. But it's a beautiful guide on wisdom, how you and I can have the the right kind of wisdom in our life. And so look with me in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, but also to you and I when he says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are five things that he tells us very quickly in this brief passage about wisdom. The first is this. Wisdom is about time. Wisdom is about time. He says in verse 16 that we are to make the most of every opportunity. What does he mean by that? Make the most of every opportunity. Do you make the most of every opportunity in your life? Or sometimes do you feel that you're just loitering through life or loitering through the day? There are times when you go to bed at night and you look back at your day and you realize you haven't done anything. Or somebody comes and asks you, hey, what have you been doing this week? And you just taken aback by a minute, a minute and you start thinking about your week and you realize you haven't, you haven't done anything. Nothing has improved in your life. You've not connected. You've not grown. You've not accomplished anything in your life. Here he says, make the most of every opportunity. The famous actor Leonard Nimoy, who died a few years ago, He was the actor, of course, who played Spock. He said this in his final tweet before he died in 2015. A life is like a garden. Perfect moments can be had, but not preserved, except in memory. Live long and prosper. (laughs) Now, here's what he's talking about. I get it. And I know I've told you this before. I grew up in a house where I had a mother who I thought was obsessed with taking pictures. She started out with the Polaroid. She loved her Polaroid. She loved that thing. She loved it. Oh, waving that thing, you know, so it dry off. And, and that moment, we all gather around. This is high tech in the 70s, of course. We all gather around to see what the picture looked like, if it came out at all. And we were, we were poor. And so that film was expensive. So you had to pick your picture carefully. Now, I'll take five pictures of everything. If I take out my camera, if I'm going to take a picture of my food, I'll take five pictures of it just to make sure one of them is really good, you know. And so I've got 50 million pictures of nothing 
just worthless things. Oh my goodness. And so do you. So in my house, we had stacks of photo albums. Now we just have stacks of hard drives uh, or USB uh, drives where we just have thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures of anything and everything in our life because everybody's got a camera in their pocket all the time. I got a camera in my pocket. I got a camera on my, my tablet. I got cameras everywhere. And got a camera, might as well just snap a couple of shots and they really begin to add up. Of course, in my mother's photo albums, they were all highlights of our lives. Five kids, mom loved to take pictures. They were always birthdays. Oh, so many birthdays. Christmases, vacations, special days, graduations, weddings. Mother eventually graduated from the Polaroid camera uh, up to uh, more substantial cameras and then finally digital camera. And when she got a digital camera, oh, look out. Uh, she was never a very good photographer. Bless her heart. Love you, Mom. But, um, but what she lacked in quality, she made up for in quantity. But they were always happy moments. You don't have in your house stacks of photo albums that are of, of you being fired or you in divorce court or you with the cancer doctor receiving the bad news, or you at all your friends' funerals over the years. You don't have pictures of that. We don't, we don't ingrain that in our memory. We don't want to. It is the highlights of our life. It is the precious moments that we want to put in those photo albums. That's what we want to remember. And I am assuming that all of you, everyone has some precious, precious moments in your life. I don't care how great or how terrible you think your life has gone. All of us have happy moments. Here's what he's saying here, what Leonard Nimoy is saying. You take those moments and you seize those moments because you can't reproduce them later on. You can have other great moments, but that moment comes and goes so quickly. You know, I'm getting older, <laughs> And the older I get, the more I realize my life is uh, limited in this world. I'm closer to the end of my life than I am the beginning of my life, and many of you are the same. And if you're not that way, if you're young right now, tomorrow you will wake up and you will be 56 or 76. Life goes by so quickly. Make the most of every opportunity. It is important to note that Paul is speaking here about spiritual opportunities. Those things that make the most, different, the most difference eternally. Those are the things that are really important in life. Those, things, those are the things that really matter in your life and my life. Those things that last and so make the most of it. I'm not sure Leonard Nimoy, even in his death, really fully understood those things. So first, wisdom is about time. Secondly, wisdom is about a path. It's about a path. Look in verse 17 when it says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now that's Paul's way of saying to you and I that God has a path for us. God has discerned and designed a path for your life and my life. He desires for us and expects from us certain fruit-bearing 
aspects of our life. We are his ambassadors. We are here for a purpose. And God, frankly, expects us to fulfill our purpose in life. And if you don't, if I don't, then our life has no purpose. No, excuse me, our life has no meaning. So God expects that. So here he refers to it as the Lord's will. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God has a purpose and a path for you. Thomas More, often called St. Thomas, served as a lawyer under King Henry VIII. But eventually, if you know your history, King Henry, King Henry wanted a divorce from his wife. And when St. Thomas refused to sign King Henry's divorce papers, out of his commitments and his convictions to his beliefs, he was executed. Before his death, just before his execution, he said, I die to the king's, excuse me, I die the king's faithful servant, but God's first. He says, I die faithful and loyal to the king, but more than that, my loyalty is to my God. How much of your life, if you were to look at your life right now, just for a few moments, from beginning to where you are right now, if you could span your entire life, how much of your life have, have you really lived in the center of God's will? Now, you can't change the past, but you can decide the present and the future and allow God to put you on the path. For some of you, you need to get back on the path. Others, perhaps you've never been on that path and you know you've not been on the path. You're just loitering around through life and not getting anywhere. God has a path for you. Are you on the path? Third, wisdom is being filled with the Spirit of God. Wisdom is about time. It's about a path. And it's about the Spirit of God. Look with me in verse 18. He says, don't be drunk or don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I know I've shared this with you before, that when people drink alcohol, they never do things they're proud of. On the contrary, when they get stone cold drunk, they almost always do things they regret. I don't know why it is that way, but it is. We just do bad things when we're heavily intoxicated. And I say we figuratively, I'm not in the habit of getting drunk. I assume that you don't as well, but you know enough about alcohol to know what I'm talking about. Don't get drunk on wine, he says, which leads to debauchery. He says, instead of that, I want you to do this. Be filled with the Spirit. You want to be full of something? Don't make it a chemical thing. Don't make it something you drink or that you eat or that you inject or that you swallow. You want to be filled with something? Be filled with the Spirit of Almighty God. That is to allow the Holy Spirit to dictate the direction of your day. So when you wake up in the morning, and I know you may not feel too good, maybe your bones hurt or your feet ache already, but allow the Spirit of God to dictate the direction of your day. When you wake up in the morning, you may have had a terrible night and you didn't sleep a wink. And you've got to go to work and you're exhausted. 
Well, nothing you can do about that, but listen to me. If you'll submit yourself to God and allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and dictate the direction in your day, I promise it's going to be a better day than the alternative. When you go in and greet your family, when you go to work, when you get in the car, whatever you're going to do, allow the Holy Spirit to dictate the direction of what you're going to be doing. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Have you ever known somebody like that? Maybe it was your parent. My mother was that way. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a fellow church member. Someone who was wise beyond their years. And you just sensed that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you had a need in your life, they were the first one to go to. Not because they had a PhD. Not because they were official, but because they were filled with the Spirit. You simply recognized the presence of God in their life. Be that person. God is inviting you to be that person today. Don't allow the foolish wisdom of this world to dictate your day. Several years ago, there were uh, 10 whales who were found beached on the Baja Peninsula. Rescue efforts, though they tried to save the whales, all 10 whales died. The local scientists were perplexed for a while. They couldn't understand why whales would beach themselves and it's still a mystery to this day very often as to why whales do that. But these 10 whales in particular, they began to study uh, fairly quickly on what was going on in the, the bay around where they were beached as to what happened, why they ended up there in the first place. And what they learned was the whales had been chasing after small uh, schools of small fish there in the shallow water. And these schools of fish were so small, the fish were so small and so agile there in the shallow water, those whales could never have caught those fish. For, so first of all, they were just wasting their time trying to catch those fish in the first place. But not only was it a waste of time for those whales, it was actually detrimental and actually cost their life because they got into such shallow water, they became disoriented and ended up beaching themselves and dying. Listen to me, that's exactly what Satan wants to do for your, you in your life. That's his plan. He wants to distract you with worthless, pointless things that seem so important at the time, but they are not. That not only will waste your life and waste your time and not add anything to the value of your life, they'll actually cost you your life in the end. They will be destructive. Wisdom is being filled with the Spirit of God. Next, wisdom is about relationships with others. This is number four. Wisdom is about relationships with others. It's, it's an interesting description. In this passage, I don't know if you caught this. Look at verse 19. He says this. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I know you may be sitting there thinking, that's crazy. When was the last time you went up to somebody and you started singing to them? Or you shared a psalm. In fact, I told this first service, I interpret this as uh, you can share songs. It's speaking spiritually, by the way. Uh, you know, this is not some Hotel California song or some worthless, now you know how old I am, some worthless secular song. It's a, it's a Christian song, a hymn or a psalm. And I, I interpret that as go up to somebody today every day, and share a verse that's on your heart. 
It doesn't have to be a preachy verse or a condescending verse, something uplifting, something encouraging. And there are thousands of them. And you'd be surprised at how many verses most of you already know. Just share a verse. Smile, look at them, smile, share a verse. What a wonderful opportunity it would be because you know what you're doing when you're sharing a psalm, a hymn, or a verse with somebody? What you're not doing is being negative or condescending to them or mean to them. How wonderful it would be if instead at our presidential debates, instead of accusations and attacks, the candidates just turned to one another and they started sharing hymns and psalms and verses. Wouldn't that be awesome? I I don't expect that's probably going to happen. Wouldn't that be nice? You turn on the TV and there's the two debaters, the two candidates, and they just start singing songs to each other. (laughs) I think that'd be awesome. Um, uh, I'm going to write somebody and suggest that. Max Licato shared about Clovis Chapel. He was a minister from a century back who used to tell the story of two paddle boats going down the Mississippi River. They left Memphis about the same time and they were both traveling toward New Orleans and they both had cargo that they uh, um, transported for payment. They were traveling side by side, these two paddle boats, and when sailors from one vessel made a comment about the snail's pace of the other vessel, words were exchanged, challenges were made, and the race began. Competition became vicious as they paddled as fast as they could and roared down through the deep south. But one boat began to fall behind because they were running out of fuel. They had enough coal to make the trip, but they didn't have enough coal to race on the trip. When one young sailor took some of the ship's cargo in a moment of desperation and threw it into the fire. And they realized very quickly the cargo they were carrying burned just as good as the coal. (laughs) So they just started throwing the cargo in, throwing the cargo in. The more they threw it in, the faster they went and they won the race. But by the time they got to their destination, all their cargo was burned up, making their trip completely pointless in the first place. That's Satan's plan for your whole life. (laughs) He wants you to burn up the cargo. He wants you to take all the, the, the valuable things in your life that make you, you, as someone created in the image of God, and he wants to burn it all so that by the time you die, there's nothing of value left. We may think, well, the goal in life is to live to be 110 It doesn't do any good to be 110 if your life has been meaningless. God has entrusted cargo to us, by the way, in our life. Children, spouses, friends, co-workers, fellow church members, fellow community members, neighbors. It is our job to see to it that this cargo around us reaches its destination at the throne of God. And then finally, wisdom is about our relationship with God. And I've told you this before many times, and you'll always hear it from me as long as I'm alive, 
Everything in life is relationships. It's not anything else. It's not your calendar, your plans, or your income, or your education, or your nationality, or your political beliefs, or anything else. Everything in life of value is relationships. And without relationships, your life has no value. That's why he talks about wisdom here in life with other people. But then as soon as he mentioned our valuable relationships with others and how we should relate to one another and what tone and what spirit, by what spirit, he then talks about our relationship with God and finishes with that. Look with me in verse 19. He says this. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, first of all, he says, sing and make music in your heart. So you can be tone deaf. It doesn't make any difference. You can still sing in your heart. And if you are tone deaf, you're not a good singer. Clearly, you're not off the hook in this passage. You can't sit there and say, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a good singer. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Now, why would God want us to sing to him? When's the last time you sing to God? When's the last time you ever went to God and said, God, got a song for you? <laughs> and maybe you are and you don't realize it. Maybe you're in your car, you're on your way to work or school, and you're listening to Christian music on, on the radio, and you start singing to the Lord. You sing to the Lord on Sunday morning. Some of you sing out loud, and some of you sing in your heart. Well, that certainly counts. But beyond those times, when do you deliberately, purposely sing to God? Why does God want you to sing to Him? Well, I can tell you again, if you're singing to God, and this comes from studying the Israelites that we are studying on Wednesday nights in the book of Exodus and how they behaved. When you're singing to God, you're not complaining. You're not grumbling. You're not lamenting. You're not asking for stuff. You're just sharing your heart with God's heart. And there's something powerful about that. There's something wise about doing that with your Creator. So he says, sing and make music in your heart. Maybe the most neglected verse in the Bible. And in the midst of that, he says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Not something or most things, but for everything. Sing to God with a heart, a tone, an attitude of thanksgiving. Appreciate the good that God has put in your life. And then finally, and this is the odd part, in, in your relationship with God, he says, I want you to do this with other people. He says in verse 21, submit to one another. And you think, well, that's not God, that's other people. But listen to the last part. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You want to have a relationship with God? Submit to other people. Humble yourself, be kind to them. Because your relationship with other people is directly connected to your relationship with God. You can't divorce the two. You can't separate it. If you can love God, you have to love people. And again, I say that a lot. And I remind you and remind myself, as does the Apostle Paul here, that our connection with God is based in part, essential part, on our relationship with others. 
So I'll leave with this with you today, a simple one-step strategy for getting wisdom. You may be asking yourself, okay, I'll take it. I'll take the wisdom. How do I get that, Pastor Lee? How do I take this wisdom uh, that is about time, the, the use of time in my life, about the path that God wants me on, the will for my life, about being filled with the Spirit, about relationships with others and relationships with God? How do I get this wisdom? Well, one step, very simple. And we'll say it's easy, but it is very simple. It may surprise you, it may not. Look with me in James chapter, five, chapter 1, verse 5. It tells us very clearly. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Maybe one of the greatest promises in the Bible. Notice what he doesn't say. If you'll do these 20 steps, or if you'll write out this big long formula, or if you'll do this and this and this and this for the next 40 days, then, then you'll get it. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He simply says, if you will ask, God will give you wisdom. Not may. You're not rolling the dice. You're not, you're not trying to win the lottery here. And, and you know, you're trying to beat the odds. He says, if you'll do it, God will give it. If you'll ask, you'll receive. And my challenge to you today do you lack wisdom? Do you desire wisdom? Ask, and you will receive. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today, and we acknowledge the importance and value of real wisdom in our life. <coughs> we know and realize that there is a worldly wisdom that is evil, that is self-serving, that is fake. It's impressive to the world, but it is hollow and shallow and devoid of you. And then there's real wisdom, the wisdom that you give us as beings created in your image for your glory. Help us to have this godly wisdom. Father, it may it be with us the moment we wake up in the morning to that minute that we lay down to go to sleep at night. May it sustain us. May it empower us in the midst of our relationships with all of those around us. May it protect us from doing and saying and thinking things that are so dumb that wreck our life and wreck the lives of others. Grant us wisdom. Father, for all of us, and you know this, there are times and occasions and, and encounters that we have that truly do require wisdom. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know how to deal with this. Some things in life are complicated. But you know. And that's the moment that your wisdom will save us. Help us now. And we ask in the name of Jesus right now. Father, in your mercy, give us wisdom. As we're praying, no one's looking around. Did you just pray that? Did you just ask your God, your creator, in his mercy to give you wisdom? Can I challenge you right now to go before God and say, God, I need wisdom. You know, Solomon said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's our first step. If you desire wisdom, it will come only from God, nowhere else. 
There's no self-help book you can buy at the bookstore. There's no video you can watch online. There's no conference you can go to that will give you wisdom. It comes from God and God alone. Will you ask right here, right now, today? Some of you are off the path and you know it. You're not in the center of God's will. God wants you on the path. He wants to help you get back on that path today. Will you consider that? Asking God to give you wisdom to be on the right path. No one's looking around. Would you stand? As you pray, as you stand, this opportunity is for you. Maybe you just want to come down and kneel and ask God for wisdom. Be careful what you ask for. I can't tell you how God's going to give you that wisdom. It may not come with a bow and a fancy wrapper, but God will answer your prayer and He will grant you wisdom. 100%, I believe that. If you ask sincerely, His Word tells you He will grant you wisdom. It may be about something specific in your life that you really need wisdom and discernment for right now. Come and ask. And God will give graciously. It may be you want to come down and give your life to Jesus Christ and surrender to Him. And you know that path for you begins there as it does for everyone. And just say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Or maybe God is calling you or your family to join here at First Baptist Church to serve Him faithfully here, to learn and to grow and to serve. That opportunity is here for you. We want you to know you're welcome here. Or maybe you're online and you're watching. I challenge you right where you are. Ask and you'll receive right now. As we pray, you come. Well, thanks for joining us today online for our worship service. We hope that you are ministered and encouraged to while you're with us. And we just want to remind you that you can connect with us online by going to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. We hope to see you again next week.